you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is, should be a very common chapter to us. These are the words that, that, that we use and I use um, as we take the Lord's Supper every once a month. And um, this sermon is, at least the parts of this sermon are not new, though the applications are. Um, the title is just Self-Examination and the Lord's Supper. So we're going to do that today. We're going to read our covenant together at the end as we take the Lord's Supper together. Um, and so let me read 1 Corinthians 11, starting verse 17, to the end of the chapter. Then after that I'm going to pray, and then we will begin. These are, these are the words of Paul which are the words of our Lord to us. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. I just point out there that he's saying that there were those in that body there in the congregation that were, were genuine and then don't know how many, majority or not, whatever was going on there, but many, many were, were not genuine, possibly. Um, that's a sermon for a different time. Verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? In other words, you're just having a regular meal here. What you're doing is not the Lord's Supper. Why not just go home and eat and drink in the normal way there in your own home? Or, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. These are some of the strongest words we ever hear from the Apostle Paul about what's going on in a, in a church. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, He took the bread. When He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, He took the cup, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you eat it, eat it, remember me. For then in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Then verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. That's our command this morning that I'm focusing on. Let a, let a person examine himself. And then, so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged... Ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. 
So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So let's, let's pray together. I also forgot in the first part, we, we didn't pray for our brother and sister Pam, Pam and Greg, so I'm going to pray for them um, now as well. But in, <clears throat> let's pray and then let's begin. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we, we, we have these words as we prepare ourselves to examine ourselves as we take the Lord's Supper and consider the meaning there. Pray that you would give us great grace. I pray that Christ would be more beautiful. I pray that we would love him more. I pray, Father, that we would see our sin more. Father, it's not that... that that our sins are not covered, for they are covered by the blood of Christ. And no one is worthy outside of Christ to, to take the Lord's Supper to do anything for that matter. But in Christ, we are worthy. And so in repentance and faith, we as a body look unto Christ. And we, Father, we know our sins are ever before us. I pray that you would help us to see them even more, that we might turn from them but the desire would, would be great. Father, if someone does not have that desire, which we just basically talking about is repentance, that, Father, today they would look unto Christ and be saved. Father, we lift up our, our brother and sister, Greg and Pam. Bless them with, with, with health. We pray that you would, you would heal them very quickly. And we put them into your hands. Today, I pray that Christ would increase, that I would decrease, Father, in spite of me, that you would work greatly. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So what does it mean to examine yourself in the context of the Lord's Supper? So here are, I have three truths today, and then at the end we're going to read our covenant together, and I'm going to make some comments uh, a couple places. But three Truths. The first one is remember the real meaning of the supper. Remember the real meaning of the supper. When we take the Lord's Supper and we examine ourselves, we, we must remember the real meaning of the, of the bread and the, and the wine, the bread and the, and the juice that we drink today. The English Standard Version, version um, says in verse 29, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Without going into too much detail there, I think some would emphasize discerning the body of Christ. Others would emphasize discerning the body of Christ as the, body, as the church. And I think both are true. But in some way, Paul is saying to discern the body of Christ. In other words, I think he's saying understand what Christ's Christ death really means and what we are doing when we take the Lord's Supper. The bread that you are eating and the wine you are drinking has a very clear meaning. They represent the body and blood of Christ and what He did on the, on the cross to usher in a, a new covenant. He died. He laid down His life. Of course, and he, of course we know He rose again and we know according to to Hebrews, he is sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the gospel. And when we think back to the Corinthians, 
We know that the Corinthian church there were guilty of not remembering the true meaning of the supper. Now, how do we know that? Well, it's because of the way they were acting. And oftentimes, it's opposite from Sunday school, faith, love, and then obedience. Sometimes no obedience, then where's the love, where's the faith? Paul was getting letters from them explain us, to help us out in here in this, in this matter. And he was saying, for what, from what's going on in your body there, there are great things happening. Um, and so I believe that, that, yes, they were following the command to observe the Lord's Supper. They were doing that regularly as they came together. However, at least in part, it had become a formality. And this was evident because of their divisions. They were not discerning the body of Christ. Their, their actions were selfish, unloving, and very divisive. Look back at verses 17 and 18. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. So they were coming together for the worse, not for the better, and there were divisions. And I believe it, Paul says, in part. And then in verses 20 to 22, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. You see, in, in that context, I think I've, I've shared this many times. I'm going to be very, very brief. But there were both rich and poor in that congregation. And those who brought the food and the drink were, were, were the more wealthy, I believe. And they were sharing that food with their brothers and sisters who were, who were poor and coming along, who had become believers there as well. Maybe they were coming early and they were eating their own food. I think that's apparently what's happening when Paul says you're eating and drinking, not waiting on one another. And they, when they got to the end of eating what they were eating and drinking, there was nothing left there for others or for some, they were left out. There was certainly class discrimination. There may have been racial discrimination. Instead of taking all the food that was brought and giving equally to all who were present, there were cliques within the body. Um, they were formed between maybe relatives, between friends. Um, those with one group ate with one group at one table and didn't go associate with group at another table. I think there were probably private tables. The, the rich were separated from the poor. Um, and those who could not bring anything, they were just left out. And, and so the Bible speaks of the Lord's Supper as being a time of love. It's a picture of love as we love one another. And it was supposed to have been a love feast. And so it was certainly not a love feast, much less the Lord's Supper. In fact, Paul says that what they were doing wasn't even the Lord's Supper, what they were doing. So if you can imagine that, to think that you are coming here, they were coming there, and taking the Lord's Supper, but instead, look at verses 29 and 30. Some were eating and drinking judgment upon themselves. Some were weak and ill, some had even died. 
So I think at this point, it's almost as if Paul is so angry at what was happening that he is at a loss of words. And he is thinking and saying, can you not discern the meaning of the supper and what Christ did for you? What are you doing? And what you are doing is, is not Christian. What you are doing is a mockery. In fact, it's not communion at all. You have the ceremony, yes, you're doing it, but what happened to the reality of why you're doing it? You're not considering the body of Christ, what He has done, the real meaning. You're just eating some bread and you're drinking some wine. You've forgotten to differentiate between that which is physical and that which is spiritual, the true meaning. Do you not remember what Christ did for you? And so really the, 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 the meal had lost its meaning. And I imagine Paul is saying also, you know, you may be breaking some bread and passing the cup and repeating some words that Jesus gave us, but what you're doing has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with Christ. Therefore, remember Christ. Remember what He did. Remember His death, what it accomplished, and then act accordingly in the way that you treat one another. And we're going to come back to Philippians 2 in a moment where he says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Who didn't think it robbery to, or as he was in glory, to not leave behind the glory that he had and come and take on flesh and be obedient even to the point of death. And he's saying, let that mind be in you as you treat one another and as you love one another. So therefore, today, as we take the Lord's Supper, we must remember the meaning. It can never become a formality. If so, we will do essentially the same thing that the Corinthians did and were doing. We must remember what the Son of God did, what our Lord did, especially in His death on the cross. And when we properly we do this properly, we will not be guilty of what was happening in the Corinthian church. This brings us to truth number two. We must, therefore, examine ourselves to make sure we're not doing the very same things in different ways. And so this is truth number two. Examine yourself. And this is actually a command for us always when we come to the Lord's Supper. Examine yourself. So examine yourself personally. We'll do that a little bit later. And examine yourself as a body. What is going on? And I get this directly again from verse 28. Let a person examine himself. I think it's, this is pretty simple. But there may be some confusion, I think, in the general church today over what Paul means when he says examine yourself. I think many people are told to examine themselves before taking the Lord's Supper and they wonder, have you, I, I've done this before, when the pastor says, examine yourself, then you think, oh my, have I confessed all my sins? Have I examined myself properly? And then I would, I would I, personally, I can't speak for any of you, but I've thought, you know what? There's something that I'm really not ready to repent of right now. So therefore, I'm, I'm feeling guilty and therefore, I'm not going to do that right now, or maybe I don't think possibly I've done that right now, and then I would just leave it out. I wouldn't take the Lord's Supper 
there. That's, we're getting very subjective there. And, and, and I, I know that many Christians, and non-Christians too, for that matter, who, who may, maybe have a false profession, certainly think like that. Examine yourself. Make sure you confess them all. Make sure you've done, put all your ducks in a row. And then, therefore, then you are now worthy to take the Lord's Supper. Have you ever felt like that at all? Ever seen that? I mean, I can think through back to, what, 13 years we've been together? It seems to me, I may be wrong here, but we have more people on the first Sunday of the month than we have other times because people do take the Lord's Supper very seriously. And I think that's, that's, that's a good thing, but it is, it is a very serious thing. But I, I do think that that's prevalent in our culture to think, I'm not worthy, therefore I won't take today. So then it kind of goes back to even what we were talking about at Sunday school. Do I feel worthy today? Therefore, I'll take the Lord's Supper. If I don't feel so worthy today, then I won't take the Lord's Supper. And we have good occasion to, in some ways, to be serious. And I can see how the error can come in. But look at verse 27. Because these are very serious words from Paul. And we take them very serious. Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in a, in a what? An unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. He also says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. There's much there. And I preached on that before, I'm not going to do that today, but much of the confusion has to do with the word worthy. But I must ask, and I've done this before over the times that we've taken the Lord's Supper, which of us is worthy? When you think about your sins this week, which of us is worthy? When you, as you think about husbands, how you've treated your wives, maybe you've lost it, you've been angry, you've been impatient. You've thought things about her that you should not have thought, or you've, or you've not been faithful in your, in, your, in your mind or in your heart as you've looked at another woman, or you've thought something like that. Or Wives, I could ask you the same questions. You've been upset and, and spiteful to your husband because he's done something that you didn't like. You've been impatient. Children, maybe you've been disobedient to your parents. They've asked you to do something, and you just, finally you go do it, but in your heart, you don't want to do it. And you know, and you're like that. How can they ask me to do such things? On and on we can go. I mean, just think about, have you loved your neighbor perfectly? Jesus said, I tell you the truth, those who you know, commit murder, they're in danger of, of uh, being judged. But Jesus said, but I tell you the truth, if you've, if you've even thought evil about a person, even in your heart, then you've committed that sin. Well, which of us have not done that? So in other words, which of us are worthy that God would allow any of us to be here to sit, to listen, to listen to the Word, to take the Lord's Supper at this time is, to me, is absolutely amazing. Which is why we sing. I just think for a few minutes ago, there's nothing like the singing of Christians. There's nothing like it in the world. Nothing compares to it. All the other religions sing, but they do not sing by the Holy Spirit. And we do. And that's the difference because we know. And I, I was just, just thinking about that by way of 
singing. I understand you could have had a bad morning. I'm, I'm getting off on a tangent here. I know. You could have had a bad morning. You could have had a bad week as a believer, and your mind is gone. You get here, and you cannot listen. You cannot sing. And that might go on for a period of time. But if you call yourself a Christian and you've professed the name of Christ and you go for week after week after year after year and you do not sing in the Holy Spirit and you don't know what that feels like, I would say to you, consider that. Maybe you're not a Christian because Christians sing. And even if you can't sing, I understand. We can have this discussion later, but there's nothing like the singing of God's people. And, 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 and just coming back to thinking about our sin. When it comes to who is worthy, I feel like the Apostle John when he saw the throne room of God in, in Revelation chapter 5. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then he heard these words, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Let me say, just take a moment to say today, if you are a Christian, you've come here as a Christian, if you are in Christ today, Christ is worthy. The benefits of his death, though, have been given to you. So therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So all, a moment ago, we were, we were reflecting on our sins. When we take the Lord's Supper, we remember His death because in His death, He took our sin upon Himself. And He gives us His righteousness. So therefore, now there is no condemnation. If you believe on Him, if you've received Him, Christ became a curse for you. He was crushed by God, by God can't imagine. On the cross, He took all the wrath that your sins deserved upon Himself that you would not have to endure what most of the world will endure for eternity. And so this is the Lord's Supper today which says, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. So, in this passage... Paul is not saying that we must in some way become worthy. There's another verse that says, let your, let your manner be worthy of the gospel of Christ, talking about how we walk. But he's not saying in our value or in our standing before God, in our justification before God, he's not talking and saying that we have to become worthy in that way in order to take the Lord's Supper. Because Christ is worthy. And in Him, you are worthy. We are worthy. Now remember the context. The Corinthians were sinning by not making a difference between the supper and its meaning. They were not following the example of Christ in the ways that they were acting one to another. 
The supper had become a formality. Instead of a supper of love and remembering the death of Christ, it had become a supper of judgment. They were, verse 27, guilty concerning the body and blood of our Lord. And God was judging in the form of discipline and chastisement. Some were weak, some were ill, some had died. Verse 31, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. I believe he was saying, for our practicality, judge yourselves. Look at your own sin, yes. Look at how you treat your brother and sister in Christ. Look at how your life is going. And look at your church. Look at your body. Look what is going on. It was very obvious in their context. He's saying, remember the meaning of the supper. In a way, he was saying, humble, humble yourselves or God will. For God, He disciplines those He loves. So, to examine ourselves as we take the Lord's Supper does not mean that we confess our sins in order to make us worthy. To examine ourselves doesn't mean that we must become perfect. Christ is perfect. Because of His blood, we daily feast at God's heavenly table. Because Paul says in Ephesians 1 and 2 that we are where are we seated? And where is He? He's, we're seated in Him, the right hand, the majesty on high. Because of His blood, we daily feast at God's heavenly table. So in the end, what does it mean to examine yourself before taking the Lord's Supper? Well, let me, let me give a quote from the Heidelberg Catechism. Here's what it means to examine yourself. Here, here's, here's what we understand by when you come here today and you take the Lord's Supper and we examine ourselves. Here's what the, the Heidelberg Catechism says. Here's the question. Question. Who may be admitted to the Lord's table? Or admitted to the communion table? That's the question. So who, who can come? Here's the answer. Those who are displeased with themselves because of their sin. But, who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned and that their continuing weakness, as we have continuing weakness, that their continuing weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and to lead a better life. Hypocrites and those who are unrepentant, however, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So I don't see, according to Scripture, how any Christian can ever really be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, but those who are hypocrites. That's when we go back to 1 Corinthians 11. He says, some of you are genuine. Don't know Again, what was going on there, but it is about repentance. Yes, confess your specific sins. Always do that. In fact, the, our sins, I used to, when I first became a Christian and I got, I would think, man, I've given that up, I've given that up, I've given that up. Boy, I'm walking along pretty good today. And then, how many years later, 30-some years later, and I'm like, Woe is me. I am the chief of sinners. 
because the, f- the further I move along, the more I see my own sin, then the more is ever before me. And I think those of you who are in Christ and are older, you, you, you say the exact same thing that I say. We're not going to cruise along. But in Christ, we always are cruising along. And so it is about repentance. And so when we examine ourselves, we come as those who are humble and repentant. Not wanting to continue doing what we've always done as far as our sin's concerned. Always moving down the road to heaven in our process of sanctification. So as far as worthiness is concerned, I think it goes back to truth number one. The motive of our hearts and the way in which we treat one another shows the motive, shows the gospel, the worth of the gospel. Similar again to what Paul says in Philippians 1. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Christ is worthy, we are not. But our lives show the worth of the gospel. And so the way we take, the way we take the Lord's Supper and the way we are living shows forth the gospel. So that's truth number two. Finally, truth number three, love the body of Christ. Look at verse 33. He says, wait for one another. (laughs) Wait for one another. Consider one another. Consider those sitting next to you. He's saying to them, consider the poor. Consider the one who's not like you. Consider your brother or your sister and what they're going through in their struggles. Consider them. That's In that context, wait for the poor to come and eat. Share all of your meal. Every bit of it. The steak, the lobster, not just the, the rice and the beans. All of it. Share it with your brother and sister. And do this in the light of what Christ has done for you on the cross So at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, as we get the gospel, it is the love of Christ that compels us to love one another. The best explanation of what Paul means is found in Philippians 2. I tried to recall it from memory, which I have remembered many years ago and didn't do very well. So now I'm going to read it exactly as it is in the scriptures. Philippians 2.1 So if there is any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only, only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And then we read on, even obedient to the point of going to the cross. So love one another as Christ has loved you. And so one of the evidences that you are a Christian, that we are Christians, is that we love one another. We consider one another. So, 
how can we examine ourselves this morning? One, today, if you're not a Christian, do not take the Lord's Supper. If you know you're not a Christian, you're visiting with us, you're not a Christian, don't take the Lord's Supper because you would be guilty of the body of, of the Lord Jesus and not discerning the body. However, as a Christian, as an individual Christian, if you are in Christ this morning, there is nothing that should keep you from coming and taking the Lord's Supper. Of course, examine yourself in all areas. This is part of our testing to see if we are in the faith. Paul writes words like this. This is part of working out your salvation with fear and trembling to see if you are in the Lord. And I, I'm just, I can just say, many times Christians who've been Christians for many years still can, at times, doubt their salvation because they look at their sin and they go, how can this be? Very, very sure we can do that because we are still testing, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. But if you are a Christian today, you can rest assured that if you come with a repentant heart, trusting in Christ who's covered your sins, you're not taking it in an unworthy manner. As a church, number three, third way we do this as a church, we must consider one another. If we should see that we are behaving in the way the Corinthian church behaved, then I believe that we need to get things in order before we come back and take the Lord's Supper together in repentance. Make things right, of course. Now, I don't think that, that that's going on by any means in our context, especially now that we take the Lord's Supper in a very different way by doing it here together. Um, but, but the principle is still there. And so one of the things that might help us as a church, think about some ways that we might be that we might need to think about and repent of is by reading our church covenant and so um, i do want to pay attention to one particular part of it when we get there i'm going to stop and make a few comments i may stop at a couple places but in particular as we get ready to start our new home group season some of us have already met we're having a home group leaders meeting this week but as we think about how we are treating one another in our home groups and what we are going to do. And so, um, JB, if you want to go ahead and put that up there together. And um, I'll, I'll stop at the end. We'll read it together, okay? And then I'll stop at the end if I'm going to make any comments on any, any, anything that I see. So, so read along with me. Having been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we joyfully and with the utmost seriousness now enter into covenant with one another as one body of Christ. We acknowledge our dependence upon God and the Bible, and that we constantly need the assistance of the Holy Spirit, especially in fulfilling this covenant. Now, therefore, in the presence of God and by His grace, we commit ourselves to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We will walk together in Christian love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We will pray for one another, and serve one another, giving preference to one another in honor, and seek after that which is good for one another. We will bear one another's burdens in humility, all humility, and accept one another as the Lord has accepted us. 
we will affectionately care for, watch over, and faithfully admonish one another as God gives us opportunity. We will strive to live as Christ in the world in denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We will seek to fulfill our calling to lead a holy life, to be salt and light, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will guard our tongues, not speaking evil or complaining against one another, avoiding all gossip, not lying to one another, but instead speaking words that admonish one another. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but faithfully attend the church's meetings for corporate worship, prayer, study, and fellowship, and we will use our spiritual gifts for the common good. Hold on for just a second there. Um, I want... I want to just make a couple comments about we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but faithfully attend the church's meetings for corporate worship, prayer, study, and fellowship. And we'll use our spiritual gifts for the common good. Um, one of the things that, that I think that I've seen in our culture, and, I, and it's certainly been with me, so I would confess this first with myself, um, is that what we've done through the years, particularly in Southern Baptist circles, is we, we believe and we've been taught, and I don't know if we've been taught it, it just seems to come out this way, that if I've gone to church and I've heard a sermon and I've gone home, I've done the right thing. And such is true. But somehow in our, in our self-righteousness, we believe that that's, that's, that's like the best thing that, that we can do. And don't get me wrong, it, it is the best thing you can do is to gather with God's people on a regular basis. But then to think, well, say that I'm going to be out because of a sporting event or something, which, by the way, is very prominent in our culture, with our, with our children particularly, and, 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 and missing times together. So then what we do, we might go to a, another church, church service, which is fine and great, or we might listen to the sermon which is fine and great, but I'm not really getting at the missing right now. What I'm getting at is the attitude of, oh, I've done that. Oh, there you go. I can check that off. We've done church today because we have heard this sermon or we've listened to, or we've gone on and listened to John Piper preach or, or Alistair Begg or whoever it is, and then we go, I've done that. But this text teaches us, I mean, this comes from Hebrews, I think, 10, chapter 10, do not forsake the assembling together of God's people. But we, we, we do this as, as God's people, and this chapter speaks to gathering together. You know, when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, um, if you even, you're talking about, you know, committing adultery, well, he goes further and says, if you've even looked at a woman you've committed in your heart, or with, you know, with evil, if you've even thought something about your neighbor, then you've done it in your heart. Well, I think we do the same thing with the way we understand sometimes our gathering because we're, we're just ready to go home, ready to get away from God's people sometimes, but yet have done the thing that we most need to do. And that's a part of our culture. Our, our sins as cultures are very different than, than it would be in other cultures, and I get that. And I'm saying, and I'm pointing the finger first to myself, but I think that we need to really pray about fostering an environment where coming together for our brother or sister is, is utmost. 
So we're not coming just to worship. That's absolutely what we do. But in our spirit, in our hearts, we worship by loving our brother and, and sister. Same goes for home groups. So I ask you, when you come, are you just wanting to sing and listen? Well, that's great, but I want to encourage and exhort to say, think about your brother, think about your sister, think about their needs, think about how you can pray for them, which means you may go to your brother or sister after and say, how can I pray for you? How, what can I bring you this week? And I think we do those things. So I'm not saying that we don't. I think we do very well in some things. But then if, as we move on to our home groups, gathering together, do everything you can to be there and gather with God's people because we can't use our spiritual gift. We're not using it here so much as we are when we get into our homes. And we only do that, what, twice a month? In the summer, once a month? At Christmas party? I think that compared to most Southern Baptist churches our size, we meet way less than other churches do. Do you not agree? Have you ever thought about that? what we would be doing? Well, it's very important that things be, in my mind, in the, elder, in the elder's mind, that things be organic and, and, and that we do things outside of here. And then when we come together, it is a love feast when we take the Lord's Supper together as we consider one another. So I just wanted to say that from just a pastoral um, perspective as we think about how we can gather and what we do when we come together. So think of your brother, think of your sister and say, when I go to church today, it's not about me. It's, it's about, it, it is about you, but you see that it just, it's just deeper. Think about your brother. I'm coming for that person. I'm coming for them. And, I, and, and, and so how do we foster that? That's something for our elders to think about more, but I'm just putting it out there for, for now, just to think about and to pray about as we do our best not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And then let's, let's continue reading till the end. We will continue contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We will faithfully participate in the ordinances of the church and endeavor after unity of mind in doctrine. We will both submit to the church's discipline upon ourselves and lovingly assume our responsibility to participate in the discipline of other members as taught in Scripture. We will abstain from all practices which bring unwarranted harm to the body or jeopardize our own faith or the faith of others. We will practice personal and family worship to train our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We will be witnesses for Christ seeking the salvation of our family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, acquaintances, and all the world. We will, when we move from this place as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's Word, which is what we've seen Kim and Eric do as they've moved down that way. And so glad to have y'all today. Um, Reading our covenant together and having that in mind, I would like for us now just to turn our attention. We've got, as we normally do, we have two tables. So, um, if, so everybody doesn't have to get up. Maybe only one person from your group of, of your chairs to get up and, and, and get, or two or whatever, and go and bring it back to those who are going to take the Lord's Supper. If you are visiting, you're not a member at Grace, we welcome you to take 
the, take the Lord's Supper with us. If you are a Christian, you're not under discipline from another church, come and, and, and take the Lord's Supper with us. With that in mind, I'm going to spend just a moment in silence as we think about the sermon, as we think about these words. Then I'll lead us in prayer. Then we'll go and, and observe and take the Lord's Supper together before we dismiss. So let's take a moment in silence. Thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity again to examine ourselves as we take the Lord's Supper. Father, the world is, is not examining themselves. So what a privilege to examine ourselves as we consider the body, discern the body of Christ as we love one another. Help us, Father, this morning as we do this. And may we consider... Remember the death of Christ who covers our sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove to find us. You can also join us at the South Row Inn YMCA, 950 Kimball Road in China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 a.m. for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.